Welcome to Quick Shots, a short format traditional archery podcast, where we introduce you to some of the world's most influential traditional archers, and occasionally, some random dudes. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Quick Shots. And if you're new here, don't forget to subscribe and hit that bell notification. We upload a new episode every Wednesday, and they just keep getting better and better. If you or someone you know is an interesting trad archer, leave a comment below. We'd love to get you on the show. If you want to support the channel, head on over to the tradlifearchery.com. We have toques, we have hats, we have mugs, just a bunch of stuff over there. And anything you buy goes to support this channel. We do really appreciate it. Hey everyone, how are you doing? And welcome back to Quick Shots. Today, we have uh, Joel Turner. Uh, so if you don't know Joel, this guy is changing the game uh, a lot. Um, you know, before, uh, like I like to say, and I've heard Joel actually say it a little bit too, so I'm going to call him out on it. It's uh, you either have, uh, there's two types of archers, either you have target panic or you're lying about having target panic. So, um, <laughs> and Joel is taking uh, this game from the physical to the mental and, and really helping out a ton of archers. Hey, Joel, how are you doing today? Great, man. How are you? I'm so good, man. It's so great to meet you and, uh, and, and talk to you. Um, I, I follow, I'm following your career a little bit. So, and I'm sure a lot of people I appreciate it. <laughs> You're one of our favorites. You're one of our favorites, really. I mean, it's nice to have you on the show. I do appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. But hey, I wanted to, um, so there's a lot of videos of you out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot. I, I don't think you turned down any videos. Do you ever? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Are you on like Clay Hayes? You're on with Clay Hayes like 14 times or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, just, don't. I watch, I watch it, it over and over again. I love it's that. It's fun getting together with Clay. He's a good dude. He's a very good dude. And so anyway, uh, of course, we've guys who are in the trad archery community uh, watch and, and study your videos and, and try and get uh, as much insight as we possibly can. Because like I said, we deal with target panic all the time. Um, and, and it's tough for some of us. And it's, it's debilitating, really. So, uh, you know, we appreciate what you're doing. But this is more of a, a trad archery. And I know you do other things, right? You're doing pistol. Sure. Yep, you're Pistol, doing rifle, slingshots, compounds. It doesn't matter if it if it causes your body impact. Your mind does not like it, and it treats it the same way. So that's uh, this whole shot IQ thing spans the entire realm of shooting. Yeah, it's 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 fat. It's fascinating. I'll, I'll tell you a little background story on me, um, just really quick. And I know this podcast is not about me; it's about you. Um, but but it's mine, so I get to talk. Okay. Yeah, sure. uh, anyway, so when I was a kid, when I was a kid, and I've told this on other podcasts, um, you know, we have this thing in Canada. I'm originally from Canada, and uh, it's called Army Cadets. And in the Army Cadets, they allow you, you know, when you're 14, 15, 16 years old, to put on a uniform and then go shoot a rifle for six weeks. You know, so that's what I would do all summer long. And uh, I did this Olympic, um, um, this Olympic uh, iron sight uh, rifle shooting, and uh, it was large bore. And we, you know, until you in the archery community, we, this was years ago, I'm not going to tell you how long ago, but we had to sit and listen to audio tapes of a guy talk about the mental side of shooting a rifle. Uh And up until that point, you know, farm kids, we were just like, what are you talking about? You put it up to your face and you know, you pull the trigger when it, when the, sure. when the, the targets in that circle. Right. Uh-huh. So, you know, that's, and, and so the, I'm, I'm amazed. Like, I'm really happy that you came along and, and, and what, uh, what caliber did you shoot in those days in those competitions? Three, 308, uh, seven, six, two millimeter. Very good. Um, I, I, I guess it's 308 round, but yeah, seven, six, two millimeter. Yep. 
single action, uh, bolt action. Um, um, sometimes, and sometimes I, I shot an Enfield uh, um, uh, type Enfield uh, action, but they were sport codes and. And uh, I don't know if you know any of the, these these things. Oh, but I do. I know what you're talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. <laughs> it's very interesting because most, you know, when you get into Olympic style shooting, it's either air rifle or 22 long rifle. Yeah. And there are, there are people out there that, that have claims to fame as far as shooting small bore stuff goes. But in small bore shooting, your mind is not affected near as much as if you're shooting your 308, right? Yeah. So you don't have to make the same decisions in small bore that you do in large bore, which is very interesting. So you shooting a 308 was uh, extremely beneficial for your mind to just because every single shot you're having to make those decisions. Yeah, that's an explosion. Dude. That, so especially for a 14, 15 year old kid, I think we were 15 at the time, 15 sure. and 16. And uh, and still, that's a big gun, you know, it is going off and and so it was it was exciting you know we got to go into the butts too and you you lift the targets uh -huh. up and down we were up to we we're up to a thousand yards i mean it does become a, a real mental game and it's a game of judging windages and and, mm -hmm. and and elevation so it was a lot of fun and it taught me a lot but my point being you know we listened to this audio tape of this this ex uh, olympic gold medalist uh, and he was talking about some of the same principles that you you've talked about. So I, I love it. And I dig the fact that we can pull it into archery. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, so, I, but I want to talk a little bit of, because there's so many, what I was getting to is there's so many things out there about you and about shot IQ. And I think everyone should go check it out. And I think it's, it's, it's well worth it. If you're going to be, if you're going to become any type of serious archer, I would say, I, I'm going to want to back that up. If you're going to hunt and you're an archer, you need to take this course. You need to, you need to listen to what Joel's saying because um, we don't want to wound animals. We want to make the, we want to make that right, that, that shot, uh, the best shot we possibly can. But I want to talk about you and, and about your traditional archery journey and uh, where that started. Can you kind of give us a little bit of, of what happened there? And well, it started when I was seven. My dad had a bear cub recurve that he still has. And it was always in the corner and I wasn't strong enough to string it. He had yellow painted wood arrows with real turkey, barred turkey feathers on it. Cool. His, my grandma had bought him that bow in the 60s for him to take to Sidkanak Island in Alaska to shoot lemmings and stuff because he was stationed up there in the Coast Guard. Well, he was not interested in it. So he sent the bow back and it was sitting in our garage uh, forever. And at seven years old, I kept, I would always walk by and I'd stare at it like, man, I wish I could shoot that bow, but I didn't think I was strong enough to pull it. But then finally one day I had my dad string it up for me and I could pull it. You know, I'm only pulling like 18, 19 inches of draw length with the thing. It was a 41 pound at 28 inch bow. Wow. But I can remember I shot those painted wood arrows until there was no points, no knocks, no, my <laughs> fingers were, fingers were bleeding. It was, it was just all day, every day. And I would shoot till my fingers bled, literally. And the problem was, is it set me on the path of, cause even at seven years old, my mind works just like everybody else's. And I started, you know, not having any idea, but locking off target. Okay. And that just transcended through adolescence and teenage years and into my twenties and thirties. And, and, uh, now we've got some things figured out though. 
That's sure. yeah, that's so cool, man. And we've seen and everyone's seen you shoot. Or at least I hope everyone's seen you shoot. And I'll put some video over top of us too of you shooting, you know, some some what I'm always impressed with is that those three shots you always shoot at that deer and and uh you just such a, such control on that. I mean, I, I think you have been listening to some of these podcasts. You must have been because locking off target is is me. That's I think it's me and a lot of people, right? Well it's it's ninety-nine percent of people. It's it's amazing, especially in the trad world, when you're trying to hold so much weight and your mind wants to know exactly when you're going to let that thing go. So it, and it, it knows as long as you're not on the target, you're not going to let it go. The explosion is not going to happen as long as you're not on the target. And then when it's ready, when the subconscious is ready, it'll jump you to target or drop you to target, whichever way you're locked off. And you shoot the, you, sh you release the string all in the same motor program. Mm. It all gets linked together and it's, you're, you're never going to be super accurate with it because you don't know. I mean, you're, you're not even seeing your aim. You're aiming for a millisecond and, and before it lets go and it, you don't even see it. It's, yeah. you know, it's just a nightmare. I was in that for so many years. It just drove me insane. What's well, I'm so happy that you got it figured out. Uh and, oh, and you're sharing yeah. the fact that you got it figured out. Sure. It's awesome. Um so that got you into trad archery and so then what was your next step really? So you you I had the same I think a lot of us have the same similar story, you know, our father, our grandfather had a bow. We started we saw it, we're like, "Oh my gosh, we have to shoot that thing." <laughs> you know, it's just everyone has that that desire. Maybe it's an innate um or or a primal uh, feeling where you got to have a bow in your hand or something, but it, it, it certainly drives a lot of us. What, uh, so you had that bow and you're, you're uh, played it till your fingers bled as the song goes. Mm -hmm. And then what did you do after that? Did you, how'd you get more into archery? Into the so trail? I, I just kept shooting and kept shooting and, and my mom bought me a compound, I think when I was nine and I had sights on it, but I could never put the pin on the target anyways so i just i chucked those things right got rid of those and just started shooting a compound bare bow and you know just loved watching the flight of the arrow even though i wasn't that great of a shot and it was very frustrating for me to shoot because i would i would lock low on the target and we're talking feet low wow and then i would jump to target and let it go well then i figured out gravity right well if i maybe come in from the top it'd be better, right? Because I can use gravity to just let that bow drop. But it was the same thing. I mean, I'd lock four or five feet above a target. Oh, wow. Nightmarish stuff. And I, and I hunted that way. Shame on me, but I hunted that way. I didn't know any different. I didn't have anybody else in my family that bow hunted. And I've missed, I missed so many critters that way. And, and it became very frustrating, but I loved shooting so much. So at 16 years old, I started working in an archery shop. And I got another, I got a bear, uh, a bear Kodiak at the time. So this was 1992. Yeah. I think I started into that 16 years old and, and not shooting it well either, but still hunting with it. I killed a few critters with it, but uh, still locked way off target. So I would go between recurves and compounds or longbows and compounds for, you know, every changing anchor points every day, just to trying to fix this problem that I was having. And of course that went into my twenties and that's when I really started to have to buckle down. Once I became a cop, the thing that changed when I became a cop was my determination level. Okay. And that's what needs to change in people. 
Otherwise, they're just going to be treading water in this, and your subconscious is always going to win the battle. So when I became a cop is when my, my determination level got high enough to when I said, okay, I got to change how I'm doing business. But I didn't know how to change, and that's what led me to the research. And, and, and that, was in, that was in firearms. And uh, so once I gained the control in firearms and started to learn about concentration and, and how to actually control your mind, that's when it, I went, I got to do this in my archery. And that's when I started looking at clickers and Larry Jones with clickers and this and that and, and really starting to figure it out. And then I started to take actual classes in motor learning and performance. And that's what really topped it off for me. Okay. Okay. So as you became a police officer, and I think some people may not know that about you right off the bat, but you are a police officer and in, are you still, are you doing SWAT as well? Yeah, I've been on the, I've been on the team for 17 years now and sniper team leader for most of that uh, SWAT career. So, and that all that did is it just, it changes your determination level because I don't have the option of missing yeah. anymore. Right. So it's very easy for me to dive into this well of determination and, and say, I'm going to shoot this shot of control no matter what and mean it and know exactly how to do it. But it's that determination level that most people are, they're not diving into it. They have it. They have the determination, but they don't know how to reach into that well and grab it and put it into their archery shot. And that's, that's the fail point, right? So once you, and, and people sometimes got to fail a bunch, like I failed for a lifetime and then finally went no more, not doing it this way anymore. And in archery, that decision was not made until 2008. So it wasn't that long ago that I completely gained control when I, when the determination well got deep enough and I reached into that thing and I was at full draw on that hog in South Texas and I was locked off target and I said, I'm not doing this again. Hmm. It was that moment in time when I let down on that hog and then it meant more to me to stay in the shot process than to kill that hog. And until that switch happened, I was treading water. I was in that gray area of shot control, 3D targets, shooting in front of people, yep, could do all that. You put a critter in front of me, I was worthless. I didn't know how it was gonna go. I had no idea whether I was going to control myself that shot or not. And that's a very dangerous place to be as far as ethics in hunting goes, because we owe it to that animal to control everything that we can, right? There are things that we can't control. We can't control the wind. We can't control that critter jump in the string or any of those things, but we can control the shots that we pick and we can control our mind as long as we know how to do that, as long as we're not in that gray area. We've got that determination, but what do we got to do with it? Got to use it to make decisions. What decisions do we got to make? When do we got to make them? And then how do we carry them out? That's the shot IQ stuff. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I just incredibly well said. Um, I feel the same way. I feel like we owe it to that, um, that white tail in my case, you know, or that hog in my case. To, to make the best possible shot we possibly can. And, and that requires a lot of things. And, and um, what I struggle with and what you talk about a lot as well is that I've focused a lot on the physical side. So I'll shoot, mm -hmm. you know, up, up to hunting season, I'll shoot a hundred arrows a day. You know, sure. like, I mean, I shoot a ton. I have a range in my basement down here and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so I shoot a lot, but 
um, I'm still struggling with the mental side of things. Are, are any of those shots that you shoot, are any of them locked off target? Yeah. I mean, so, so you just explained my exact, almost exactly what I'm doing, what I've been doing. So basically I'm off target. I, I lock low. Mm-hmm. Um, now in my case, I'm real lucky because I do a lot of 3d or a lot of indoor, um, you know, 18 meter stuff. So when I lock off low, I lock off, you know, my, my shots are an inch low of gold, mm-hmm. you know? So, but, but for what you were saying, like if you're off completely, so that would still be a kill on an animal. Right. But it's not, it's not what I want, but, uh, I'm still up. And then if I come in from the top and, and come down, I'm doing these drive bys, right. Mm-hmm. Do these, it do might these. as well be a mile. It doesn't matter if it's an inch or a mile. Your yeah. mind knows that you're not in the That's middle. Right. And as long as you're not where you want to be, it's calm. That's correct. Yeah. It's like the, the pin is still in the grenade, That's right? Yeah. <laughs> but as it gets closer, you pull the pin on the grenade and then it's just waiting for the spoon to come off the grenade, right? <laughs> so it's, it, it never wants you, your subconscious never wants you to shoot your bow. It's a very negative event. It does not want you to shoot. So it tries every time to get you to not shoot that bow, right? And yeah. it'll lock you off target. It'll collapse. It'll do all these things. But no matter what, it always must link pre-ignition movements to your release motor program. If you let your subconscious tell itself when to release, it will always link those. That's not my opinion. That's just how it works. Yeah. So it's a matter of, you know, you can change your life in one shot, but you got to have enough determination to do it. Because if you shoot a hundred arrows a day, and you're locked off target on some of those arrows, you're practicing your own failure. And that's not, I, I, I don't mean that to be offensive. No, you're, no, you're a, not, you're not. I, I've heard reality, this, right? Yeah, this before. So unless you draw that bow back or before you draw back, this is the one. I'm gonna shoot this shot with control no matter what. The aim must mean nothing to you. It's just something that you get done. It's not pulling the pin on the grenade. The grenade's still intact, right? Just get it done, right? Draw back and you put your point exactly where you want it and then you let it dance because that's the only control you have over it anyway. Just watch it to keep it. And then you got to make a decision. And that's, you know, in your your list of questions, there's there's something that I would uh, tell a new archer. And it's, I would, they have to learn how to make decisions in their shot. And the here I go, the critical second decision, that, that decision that's made after you aim is the most important decision you could ever make because it creates pause and it creates presence in that second job. So as long as you separate the shot and that aim starts to mean nothing to you, that then you can really choose whether you wanna shoot with a mechanoreceptive trigger or not or whatever. You have to separate the shot between those two jobs. Job number one, draw back and aim. Get it done. Watch it to keep it. Job number two is full concentration on a shot activation movement. But they have to be separated by a decision. And that's where Here I Go comes in. That's fantastic. That's fantastic advice. What about, um, what about keeping score? Mm-hmm. Do, you have a, do you have an opinion on that? Like, do you think it's better to, to keep score... Uh, and then see a progress 
does that mentally impact you if you start doing poorly on, on scorekeeping? There's no reason not to keep score. Because when you have shot control, score becomes the only thing that you can actually evaluate. Because now with shot control, you can try a little different grip. You can try a different hook on the string. You can try a different anchor point. You can try it maybe a slightly different holding position with slightly different alignment, different foot position. Because no matter what you change in the physicality of your shot, it's always shot with the same mind. Mm -hmm. So if you shoot with score, you can see that this particular foot position with a controlled shot got me a 255, right, on a 300 Vegas round. But if I change my foot position to this, maybe change my grip slightly, now I'm at a 270. Wow, big difference, right? So if you're just shooting arrows, because it gets to the point where your control is just, like with me, I'm going to shoot a controlled shot no matter what. And so what that has allowed me to do is test everything to the point where now with different mechanoreceptive triggers, I'm now to where I use absolutely no device. I shoot with an internal trigger. And that, just knowing that, it's the same controls if I was shooting a grip sear or a tab sear or a clicker or anything like that. It's the same amount of control, but there's no input in the shot because it's just air movement in my mouth. That's the okay. internal trigger, right? So what, what is that you're, that you're using as an internal trigger? How, how does that work? So all I do, draw back and aim, right? That's job number one. And then I simply press my tongue against the side of my upper teeth. There's always a bit of air trapped in there, right? So I just keep increasing the pressure of my tongue against the side of my teeth until a slight puff of air escapes in one of the gaps of my teeth. I don't know when it's going to escape. I don't care when it escapes. My job is to increase the pressure on my tongue. That's my job at that point. After I've aimed, my only job in the world is to increase that pressure. And so I just keep the pressure going. And then finally, just a little of air comes out the side of my teeth. And that's my mechanoreceptive trigger. Because your mouth is full of mechanoreceptors, very sensitive skin cells in your mouth, right? So it's a perfect area to hold your mechanoreceptive trigger. As Joel's talking, I'm doing this, by the way. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's easy. Like when we're when we're sitting here talking about it, it's easy. I mean, you can do all kinds of stuff. You can, you know, you can make a kissy sound. You can put air through anywhere in your mouth. But when that movement equals an explosion, that changes because now your mind won't let you do it. Oh. Right? Your mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. So you have to make sure that your internal trigger, whatever you do with it, whether you use vocal cords or, or your pressure of your tongue, it has to be able to be done under stress and it has to be able to accept the conscious override, right? Like I'm doing this no matter what. I'm not letting this arrow go until that puff of air gets through my teeth. And that's the conscious override. But it seems to be extremely easy to do in your mouth because it's internal. How do you deprogram uh, de some, some bad, bad habits then? How do you deprogram? Where would we go with that? So think about what a bad habit would be, right? Like, like what do you consider would be a bad habit? It's like locking off target and just going, Hey, that's what I got to do. That's where I'm at. And then, and then if I ever do, then my relief for me anyway, and I think a lot of people I've talked to, as soon as they see that site picture, they let go. Sure. 
So that's not a habit. That's nature. Okay. That's just the natural path of your mind. It's going to do that if you allow it to. Okay. Right? So as soon as you gain control, you will never lock off target again because it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Right. Yep. So it, it doesn't make any sense anymore. It's just the first job in your shot. It has nothing to do and it must have nothing to do with you shooting an arrow. You aiming at a target means nothing. It's just something that you get done. It's only job number one. Hmm. And then comes the decision. Here I go. The critical second, right? That one second in time after you believe the aim is complete. That's when autopilot tries to come in and snatch it away from you and release the string and brace you, right? With all those pre-ignition movements. But when you make this shot very sequential and you don't leave blank spots in it, there are no blank spots in my shot. I do this, then I make a decision, then I'm pressing my tongue up against the side of my teeth. When that air pops out of there, I release the string. It's there are no blank spots in there. Awesome. And so when you talk about these habits, like let's say somebody, well, I drop my bow at release. That's a pre-ignition movement. You start the drop before you start to release. It's a pre-ignition movement, right? So all of these bad habits that we say are bad habits are simply nature taking place. They get completely eliminated. All of these things are now, it's like a clean slate happens as soon as you eliminate pre-ignition movements. Mm -hmm. And the only way to truly eliminate these pre-ignition movements is with a mechanoreceptive trigger. Now that's not saying that non-triggered shooters can't be extremely accurate or even more accurate than a mechanoreceptive trigger shooter, but true control can only happen when you are using mechanoreceptive triggers. When you're using mechanoreceptors to send the signal to, to release the string instead of allowing the subconscious to do it for you. Yeah. So that's just a reality. And, and you know, I hope that, that people don't take that the wrong way. I have nothing against non-triggered shooting. I just, I'm a shot control freak. So scientifically, you can't, I mean, you're always going to have some type of pre-ignition movement. Now for you and different personalities, that may be extremely minimal. And, you know, like John Demmer, right? Very, very minimal pre-ignition movements. But every now and again, right, that pre-ignition movement gets big mm. and, and, you know, shoot one out outside. So, um, you know, that happens to everybody. But for the majority of, of these top-level shooters that shoot non-triggered, they're of a very specific personality that their pre-ignition movements are very minimal. But the big, the, the overwhelming pattern of top level shooters is they always separate their shot. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I know. No, there's no shooting on the aim. No. I, and you know, I've, I've shot with some of the top guys um, being around, you know, um, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's just amazing to watch them and have, and they don't explain it the way you do, but they do explain um, uh, form differences in form and what they do in their shot process. And they, they also say it's very similar things, you know, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, things that are very similar, like, you know, don't let the uh, sight window, sight picture be your trigger. You're just watching, let that float happen, then go check something else. And then, you know, instead of saying the way you said it, they, they check something else, then they come back to the picture and then they release. And so it's, I guess it's a, a type of control. Um, I think that 
I think that's incredibly useful advice. I think I go back to what we said initially. It's like, uh, well, let me, let me, before I go there, I get a lot of people who say that they're instinctive archers mm -hmm. that tell me they're, they are not, they've never experienced target panic. Mm -hmm. So that would only be true if their aim is now you'll get that from people with very low anchor points. Mm -hmm. You'll also get that from right-handed shooters that are left eye dominant. So because their aim is so vague, they can't see whether they're on the target or not. Right. They still experience pre-ignition movements, but they're, they're somewhat minimal. It's like shooting blank bail. If you or I were to shoot blank bail with, you know, non-triggered shooting and shoot blank bail, you can become very cognitive in whatever aspect of your shot you want because the aim means nothing. Mm -hmm. So right. do you, do you encourage people to do blank bailing and, and other, no. other type of training? No, not at all. Right. right. Blank bail shooting it because you don't have anything to aim at you are then very, it's very easy to decide away from the aim, right? And you can certainly concentrate on these aspects. Now, if you're working on a spe specific form element, then sure, blank bail it, that's fine. But you're not getting the decision-making practice that you need, mm. right? You need to decide to let the aim go. You have to learn to let it go. And if you shoot blank bail, that's not being practiced. As long as you understand that's not being practiced, then blank bail all you want. But you're never going to blank bail shot control. You're never going to, you know, if you're having target panic, you're never going to blank bail it away. Because what you're doing when you shoot blank bail is you're, you're becoming conscious, right, in other aspects of your shot. But you're not really realizing how you're doing that. How are you putting your mind in that particular muscle group? That's the skill. Yeah. Right. How are you deciding away from the aim? That's the skill. So you got to really break this archery shot down. And what are the true skills that I'm practicing with this? You know, and when you go shoot in front of people, what is the true skill you're practicing? You're practicing staying away from the distraction. Right. Yep. You have that thought. Oh my God, everybody's watching me. Yep. But then you're like, watch this. That's the skill that's reaching into the determination. Well, and practicing doing that, right? Few people practice the true skills of archery. So. Have you have you talked to have you do you know or do you talk to John Winker? Do you ever? I I've never met him. I've watched him shoot, and uh, yeah, I, we. It sounds like we feed on stress the same way. <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. Right. Exactly. So and and we use it. You have to learn to use it. Like like when you come to my clinic. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to shoot in front of everybody by yourself on center stage, and I'm going to be messing with you. And if your system is weak, I will break you, Absolutely. right? Yeah. And it's very easy to do that because I can take somebody's mind wherever I want it just by using words, right? Mm -hmm. But by the end of the clinic, by the end of that day, no matter what I do to you, either even if I'm pouring a bucket of ice water over your head, it does nothing but make you stronger, mm. right? And you have to learn to use it. I mean, the first time I stepped up on the line in Vegas, my legs were a little shaky and I hadn't experienced that in a tournament before. But I've got all these top level archers shooting around me and I'm shot IQ guy and I'm supposed to do awesome and all that stuff, right? Mm 
Yeah. So there's these expectations and I, but I, I don't let that bother me. I take it in, right? I take it in and go, yep, my legs are shaking. This is going to be awesome. Right. <laughs> no. the, the other day I'm standing in the tree stand and it's cold and it's snowing and, and this big uh, five by five comes in behind me and he's 35 yards behind me. And I was at that moment when he came in, I was able to stand up in the tree stand. Well, I was a little bit cold and then I get a shot of adrenaline and my leg starts shaking. I mean, this is just last week. My leg is shaking uncontrollably to the point where I'm shaking the branches in the tree. <laughs> and I'm like, how does this buck not see me? How does he not hear me? I've got my finger latched over my arrow so it doesn't bounce on my shelf. And it wasn't from that I'm nervous about the shot or anything like that. I was cold and then I got a shot of adrenaline. I've had this happen before. So I'm shaking like crazy in the tree and I used it. I'm like, how do I get my body to stop doing this? Because if that buck's a little closer, He's definitely going to hear something, right? So I'm like, how do I get myself to not shake this, this badly? Even though I've got some adrenaline in my system. And what I, so I started analyzing what's happening in my body. And what I noticed is that my breathing was very erratic at this point as well. And that was very difficult to get under control just because things were happening. So what I noticed is that my, my jaw was so tight. I mean, I could have cracked an acorn with this thing, right? Yeah. So what I did is I loosened my jaw, completely relaxed my jaw, and it stopped the shaking instantly. Hmm. So I just take these opportunities, right? When my, when my body becomes altered, I take that opportunity to, to analyze it. How am I going to fix this in a high-stress event, right? So I just use everything you can do because now you're practicing the true skills of control, right? You got to use these opportunities because they don't come around very often. Right? Take that so, tension under your body, use it for something positive. Yeah. Hey, what are you, so let's talk a little bit about your trad hunting. Uh, you know, were you successful this year? I want to move on to, you know, whether or not you're going to compete in any tournaments or do tournaments or if you even do any tournaments. You mentioned Vegas. I don't know if you're going to do anything yeah. this year coming up. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about your about your actual you you shooting. So, how so, was hunting season this year? So, hunting season and elk season. I just was helping everybody else. My boy Bodie killed his bull, awesome. and then I was I was calling for other folks. Went to New Mexico and called for another buddy of mine. So I didn't even during elk season, which is like my highlight of my year, I didn't even get to put an arrow on the string. Are you a world-class elk caller? Because I yeah, mean, I'm a amazing. two-time two world elk calling champion. Okay, I didn't know that. So I just, I just really made that up. That's awesome, though, because yeah. <laughs> when I hear you call, okay, here, here's what happened today. You were calling elk, and I was listening to you. I was watching your videos, doing a little bit of homework, um, and my dogs went, Oh yeah, they went crazy. They went lunatic. <laughs> Shut you off, man. You're that good. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. So yeah, okay, yeah. congratulations well, on that. Yeah, so I take the science of, of mammal biology to my elk calling, and I always say that I didn't learn how to call elk from elk. I learned how to call elk from watching drunk people in bar fights, right? So <laughs> I just take that philosophy to the elk woods, and, and they come in like a chicken on a string. But uh, So elk hunting this year, didn't get to do any of that. Um, 
other than calling for other people. The only shot that I've got to shoot this year was on that four point whitetail last week. Mm. And that was the first big game animal that I've got to shoot with an internal trigger. And man, am I sold on that. It is so easy to control at the moment of truth. There's no clicking. There's no pressure anywhere. It's just my archery shot with zero input. My trigger is so completely detached from the shot itself. There's no extra back tension. There's no hand pressure on a grip sear. There's no release hand pressure on a tab sear. There's nothing. It's just a pure archery shot that is extremely controlled. And I shot that buck right through the heart. And it was a very, very steep shot because this tree stand was over 30 feet up. And we go that high to stay out of their wind. And, yeah. and the guy that I hunt with, he sets the stands. And this thing is death-defying to get into yeah, it. I'm not that brave. You say a little prayer when you finally get to click into that thing. Well, so. you're, in the, you're in the Pacific Northwest, correct? Right, so, yeah. Yeah, so you have big, solid trees for us. Yeah, yeah, this, is a, it was, this was a big fir tree, so no worries there. But uh, the cottonwood that I was riding, riding the wave in, in in Montana was a different story. But I wouldn't even get in a cottonwood. I wouldn't even get yeah. in a cottonwood. They yeah. So we've been doing a lot of indoor work, Bodie and I, but they just keep canceling the, all the tournaments. And Bodie is just, I don't know if you know my son. but I don't know. Interesting. He is... Yeah world he's 13 years old and he is world class he won vegas last year in, in young adult the other day he shot eight 30x games in a row and he's just a machine so i i just i'm trying to get him to all these tournaments but you know my my schedule is a co- i'm i'm his only limitation yeah. at this point so uh, i'm just trying to get him in front of as many stages as i can and and as far as my shooting goes I will shoot any tournament that I can because I use it for concentration practice. Vegas is fantastic, right? I'd love to get to Lancaster and all these tournaments, but I just get to as many as I can. Yeah. Great. That's a great way of thinking about it. Cause there's a lot of people that want to go to these things and they're just like, no, nah, I'm not good enough, you know, but I thought, you know, I, that's some good advice. I mean, get to these tournaments anyway, put that stress and pressure on yourself it's only going to help you. It's, it's not the only way you. to learn. If you don't do that, you're, if you don't expose yourself to that environment, you never expose yourself to the need for your determination. You never even, you don't even lift the lid off the determination well because you never have to, yeah. right? Yeah. So the more tournaments you get to, the more hunting situations you get into, the more that, that determination well gets deeper and deeper and you're able to reach all the way to the bottom of it because you have these experiences where you, maybe it was a failure, right? Where, you know, oh, I missed that monster buck. Well, analyze it. What was I thinking at that time? What was I saying? Could I have stopped that shot? What decisions did I make, right? Those are all the, the questions of the blueprint. Mm-hmm. So when you go down your basement, wherever you're going to shoot today, you know, you you have to make that one controlled shot and then you've got to blueprint it Yeah. because if you don't, you can't take it to the next shot. You got to know what you were thinking. You got to know what you were saying. You got to know that you could have stopped it and you got to know what decisions you made to get yourself in the process for that one shot. And that's what starts it all, right? You shoot that one shot, you blueprint it. 
Now you know exactly what you need to do for the next shot and use the next shot to make the blueprint stronger. Ask yourself the same questions. The next, the next, and then every shot for the rest of your life is used to make the blueprint stronger. And it gets yeah. to the point where it gets to the point where the decisions that you make become principles by which you live. Nah, I'm not going to shoot an uncontrolled arrow. Sorry, 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 Joel. Um, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just tell you right now. I, it's it's more exciting for me to make every shot different. So. <laughs> oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I almost am fighting myself. I will. I'm I'm going off the track here. Uh, I, this is supposed to be about you, but I'm almost fighting myself to make every shot different. It's so weird. It is the weirdest thing. I can't find a blueprint and go, this is the one I'm going to stick with. This is what I'm going to do every single time. Um, it's, it's weird. I'm going to try this um, internal trigger. Uh, Are you changing? But I mean, do, is it difference in physicality or mentality? Yeah, no. Phys so physicality, I, I, I struggled a lot. And that's one another reason why I have my YouTube channel is that I'm trying to teach people, you know, hey, I'm making these mistakes. You need to go talk to Joel because I'm going to make them and you're probably making the same ones. Go talk to Joel, go talk to Tom, get a coach, get someone who, who can get you there. But if you're just very, very starting off right new, here's some of the things that have helped me along the way. And they're very small things. Like I, I still struggle going from between hunting and indoor uh, target shooting with anchor. Like the, my anchor point. And then I listen to your videos and I'm like, okay, well, he's got his thumb release now and he's two and a half inches back farther than, you know, what he, you know, and he's got this other visual. If, if you were able to, I really wish I could take a picture of, of the sight picture that I see because I can see exactly where the arrow is going. I mean, to the point where on deer and elk and everything, when I shoot critters, I almost giggle at full draw. <laughs> just wishing that the world could see what I see. It's when you get to that anchor point. And now that I shoot, I, I had a buddy call me the other day and tell me that I was a dumbass because I, I kept the side pressure on my, you know, when you shoot a left-handed bow yep. thumb shooting, you're supposed to use side pressure. That's what holds it against it. Right. Oh. So, but he said, Hey dummy, you can't keep the side pressure the same. And that's why you're getting arrow flight issues. Right. And so I thought, hmm, how am I going to crawl down the string to get the side pressure off and be able to keep the arrow on the side of the bow? Well, enter the springy rest, right? Just an yeah. old, regular old springy rest. And I put it on a, on a push AccuTune. And with that big hoop and that springy, I can lay the arrow in that and I can, I can cant the bow significantly. It doesn't fall out of that trough. So it's just amazing the change the arrow flight change the accuracy change well with that crawl of course it got it slightly higher to my eye and man is it good now especially for indoor so now i can aim at the blue ring whereas before i was below the white ring or the bottom of the paper yeah right yeah. so yeah, and i can really see it it's it's really cool so i i do change physicality of things as well but not for the purpose of to try to keep things changing it's just for the purpose yeah. of is this better, right? Is this more accurate? And you can, because you're shooting with the same mind and the same control, you can truly test it. Is it more accurate or is it not, right? How is this going to work out in an extreme stress event? And so, you know, Vegas taught me the world. It's what, it's what led me to internal triggers. 
and you know now i'm shooting in the high 270s low 280s every game i never thought i'd be able to do that what 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 do you mind if i i I pause you there for a second and just ask you what equipment you're using currently for indoor yeah um tell us your hunting setup and then go to your indoor setup if it's different if you okay oh yeah it's it's different i mean i usually have five bow at least five bows running at any moment like i could go down downstairs and pick up any of five bows and and go out and shoot them but for my hunting setup this year i whitetail hunted with a wingard chamois a 62 inch right hand grip left hand shelf obviously and uh, i shot uh, valkyrie rain arrows which is a a victory and with the valkyrie uh, stainless outsert and a 300 grain valkyrie jagger broadhead and that was my hunting setup. Similarly, in the indoor world, I can shoot the same arrow indoor, but it's a micro diameter. So I try to get a little bit bigger. I'm experimenting with some arrows. I've got some 328 ACCs. I've also got some uh, gold tip uh, black label quantums that I'm trying out. And I've also got some recurve RZs that I'm trying out. And, but they quit making two of those three arrows that I just mentioned. So it's kind of tough. But, uh, and I'm shooting a Spigarelli Barebow Riser 25 inch. I've got some uh, Win and Win, the Wyowis 1NS uh, limbs on it. I've got short, so it's a 66 inch bow. I've also got mediums and longs in those limbs. I'm a real big fan of the Wyowis limbs. And uh, so that setup, like with the 328 ACC with 250 grains in the front, four inch feather, full length, uh, that's where I can get into aiming at that blue ring with it. And uh, that's What's the what poundage are you holding? I, oh boy, they're 34 pound limbs. So at my draw length, you know, and that's on a, they're shorts. So I'm probably shooting around 36 pounds somewhere in there for my indoor setup and I shoot 45 pounds for my hunting setups usually yeah that's pretty that's pretty good that's that's awesome yeah, I, I don't shoot, I don't shoot a lot of weight because when you're shooting I mean I've got like 30 percent FOC going in my in my hunting arrow so that thing just gets pulled through the critter pretty much yeah yeah that's it's a lot of awesome. going forward are you uh what broadheads are you running did you say yeah, Valkyrie Jagger. Oh, Valkyrie. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay, so well, that's pretty good. Um, th- th- those are good setups. So, talk to me about what your plans are for coming up here. I know you, your son. You're trying to get them in there. I know Lancaster's on. Are Are you thinking about getting out here? Or yeah, I don't. I've got <laughs> that immersion clinic that's coming up oh, is the yes, same so- the same week as as Lancaster. So. There was such a debacle with dates and stuff. It was very difficult and they got canceled twice and this and that. So that's just the one that we settled on and that's the one we're doing. So let's so talk a little, let's talk about your upcoming clinic. So um, yeah. the immersion one, one yeah. take us through that. Take us what, take us through the dates and times and where it's at and then, you know, what to expect. Yeah. So the, the clients will come in on the 21st of January and the first day is just kind of a meet and greet, check out the ranch and all that stuff. And then the 22nd, we dive into it. On the 22nd of January, we'll be down at the London Oaks Ranch in, in uh, Texas there. Mm-hmm. And we dive right into control. So everybody gets in the crowd, everybody's shooting in front of me and the whole crowd. And we see where you're at. 
we see how deep your determination well is at that point. And then we go through the whole control process shooting program. And by the end of that, and Tom is sitting in the background, he's evaluating everybody's form at this point, right? Yeah. So we get everybody to the same mind first. We get them in control, no matter what form they've got, we get them in control of their shot, whether they want to shoot a trigger or not. We've got, you know, Tom's got his solid grip triggers there. We've got clickers, we've got grip sears, tab sears, internal triggers. Whatever you want to do, the world is yours, but whatever you choose, you have to be able to control them all, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you get to the control level that you can control any trigger. You can pick up any bow, figure out what you're going to use for a trigger and shoot it or non-triggered. It's either way, right? And then, so by the end of that day, everybody is in control of their shot. So they take what form they've got with this new mindset and they go out and hunt that day. So they may get a shot at a critter. They may not. If they do get a shot at a critter, I mean, it's your opportunity to test your science, right? How deep is your determination? Well, are you going to use this or are you going to stay where you came with, what you came with, right? Are you going to stay there in this gray area of shot control? Or are you going to go over the top and actually control your shot? Whether you get it, get the critter or not, right? Your job is not to kill the critter. Your job is not even to shoot the shot. Your job is to move slow enough you can stop it when you get to that shot activation movement. So really defining the job on that critter shot and analyzing what happened to your body. What were you thinking? What were you saying? Could you have stopped it? What decisions did you make? All these things, they get to put it into practice first day. Next day, Tom starts out in the morning with his entire program of, and it's a lot, right? It's a lot of just incredibly biomechanically correct stuff. And so then we start working on form and, and the students get to practice plugging in control in a new physicality, right? And that's a skill in itself because if, if you're thinking about this new hook that you've got on the string, well, you're not going to get through your clicker. Yeah, that's right. right. Because you have to be thinking about the movement. So you have to set this correction and then forget it. Right. And then learn to set it again and again, but you're getting practice, bringing the mind away from the correction and into the control. Right. So it's really such a cool program and how it all meshes together. And then the second day you go hunting. Now you've got some new form and you've got this same mind. So then the third day is all questions and, and whatever you want to do. And then we go hunting again. So it's, cool. it's really cool to be cool. able to get the science and then test the science. So if someone wants to register for this, where do they go? Uh, they've got to contact Tim King. And, and if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see the, the pamphlet that's out there. It's got Tim's number on it. And uh, you can call him and register and, and learn about the accommodations and what critters he has available for you and, all kinds of cool stuff that's cool and if people so people can follow you on instagram you have your website which is shot iq is it? yep shot iq.com shot iq and it's joel turner underscore shot iq on instagram and facebook and all that stuff joel thanks very much for uh spending some time with us man oh man yeah man. <laughs> it, gets the mind, it gets the mind thinking right I love it. I can't wait to get off. Not that nothing personal. I can't wait to get yeah. off this interview and get, get to my range. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely.
<laughs> thank you so much. Hey guys, thanks uh, people who are listening. Uh, thanks for, for watching. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe, like, share, all those things, social media things. We do appreciate you. Until we talk again, take it easy.